This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Got a lot of fun stuff to get to today. Had a great conversation with Rachel Blount. Covers the Olympics and several other things for the Star Tribune. She'll join the show in just a little bit to talk through Olympic trials coming up very soon and a lot of key sports, swimming and diving, track and field, and gymnastics. A lot of Minnesotans in the mix there. Also talked to Rachel about, you know, some stuff about should these Olympics even be happening? And I got to admit, as someone who doesn't follow this nearly as closely as she does, some of the points she made had me uh, very alarmed, I will say that to say the least. So I hope you uh, enjoy that conversation and enjoy the information that Rachel is able to provide. We'll also get a little bit of Josh Donaldson versus Garrett Cole matchup a little bit later on. Turned out to be a fizzle for the Twins. They lose 9-6 to New York. Garrett Cole dominates that matchup. We'll get to that here in just a little bit more. But first, what did I miss? And I've talked a lot on this podcast. Um, some people have <laughs> liked to joke with me about, uh, you know, am I a Packers beat writer? Is this a Packers podcast? I talk a lot about Aaron Rodgers because, A, this is a great controversy. The fact that he's trying perhaps to get out of Green Bay, wants to trade out of Green Bay because he's unhappy, reigning league MVP. This is a huge story, not only in the National Football League, this is a huge story for the Vikings. Um, because I don't think the Vikings could make any move this offseason that would be bigger than Aaron Rodgers leaving the division. Now, the news Wednesday was pretty ordinary in Green Bay. Jordan Love allegedly looked better than he did Tuesday. Packers got their story straight. Jordan Love said he could start if he had to, had 100% ready to go. Um, yeah, I'm sure they'd love that uh, way more than Aaron Rodgers playing. Um, but anyway, it was a fairly uneventful day in Green Bay, but that stands in contrast to the last six weeks or so of a lot of drama. But what I really want to get to today is Vikings OTAs. Kirk Cousins had media access on Wednesday, and the Vikings right now are in a very, very low drama mode compared to Green Bay. And I just wanted to take this opportunity, some of Kirk Cousins' answers to media questions on Wednesday just kind of reminded me how different things are right now for people wearing purple uniforms as opposed to those who might be across the border in in green and gold. Now, Kirk Cousins was asked, you know, what's he done this offseason to kind of prepare, to kind of get ready? He talked about how valuable this time is together. Hmm, uh, I guess uh, not valuable for everybody, but uh, he, he said, you know, basically he's been watching film of every single game he's played uh, this offseason in an attempt to get a better look at kind of what works for him, what doesn't work for him. So let's play a clip from Kirk Cousins at OTAs on Wednesday. This year I decided to go back and really watch uh, my whole career, uh, watch a couple other offenses to see what they have been doing or what they did the year that they had a lot of success. And um, I do think that that time looking at tape, you know, through the winter and the spring, and even now, as I go home, you know, through the summer after next week, I do think that it's helpful to, um, you know, to see what has worked in the past, what, uh, you know, I want to make as a staple for myself as I move forward, but then also, you know, where I have improved or where I need to improve. And that, that evaluation certainly comes from your coaches day in and day out, but there's also got to be an ability to self-evaluate and say, I like what I'm doing there, keep doing that, or that's not good enough, I want to improve that. And I think being self-led and, and being tough on yourself can really help, too, as you watch uh, tape um, you know, that you put out there. So basically doing everything in his power to become an even better quarterback at this stage in his career. I did not hear Kirk Cousins say anything about auditioning to be a game show host um, in those comments. Did not hear anything um, about 
vacations, didn't hear anything about being unhappy. Um, just heard about a guy trying to work really hard to get better at his craft. So that was interesting to me anyway. Um, he also was asked, you know, again, not a lot of controversy with the Vikings, but could this be a controversy? Vikings did draft Kellen Mond early in the third round, very similar to how the Packers drafted Jordan Love a year ago. Now Kellen Mond, a third-round pick, Jordan Love, a first-round pick. Little different situation, but it could be threatening to a quarterback. Here's what Kirk Cousins said about the communication before the Vikings drafted Kellen Mond. Yeah, you know, there was good communication through the process, and um, uh, Kellen's been great, you know, working hard and uh, picking up our offense quickly. So it's been a good process, and, um, you know, we're uh, just kind of building this thing right now to uh, uh, keep ramping up as we get closer to September. Yeah, okay, but isn't he probably upset enough that, you know, in training camp or in, you know, in practices and OTAs right now, he's not going to do what he can to help Kellen Mond? You know, this is a guy that could come and take his job eventually, just like Jordan Love could come and take Aaron Rodgers' job. Here's Kirk Cousins on that. I think you do the same thing. I, I do the same thing I've done with uh, Nate Stanley, Jake Browning, Nate Sudfeld back when I was in Washington. Um, you know, you're an open book. You're, uh, you're, helpful and and you're there and um make yourself available and um you know i had rex grossman when i was a rookie and rex had played in a super bowl and won a lot of playoff games and started a lot of games in in the nfl and um was in year 10 so it was great to be able to learn from him and he was a big part of my early development as a football player and i really you know took every word that he said to heart because i felt like he had been there he had done that he knew what it should look like and I hung on his every word, so um, you know I've I've been there and and um, want to certainly be that same resource whenever possible. Yeah, I guess it's just kind of a drama-free zone for the Vikings. I guess they'll leave all the drama right now to the Packers. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, senior assistant sports editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to have back on Daily Delivery, Rachel Blount covers a multitude of things for the Star Tribune, but one of the things she does particularly well, among all the things she does well, is coverage of the Olympics, and we are ramping up our coverage of the trials right now. Rachel, how are you doing today? Very well, thanks, Mike. How are you? I'm good, but not as busy as you. I always think I'm pretty busy, but this time of year, this time of every four, every two years, I guess, with the winter and summer Olympics, you become extremely busy um, as we lead up to the uh, the Olympics. To, let's let's start off. Let's let's talk some some fun. You know, more of the the competition itself first, as we think about the U.S. trials and and locals that are that are you know hopeful at least of. Of, of getting there, maybe even some that have already qualified at this point, but wh- where are we with kind of the calendar? Um, I know swimming, swimming is a kind of a big one coming up and then some of the other big ones uh, beyond that. The three big Olympic trials are all coming up now in these next couple of weeks. Swimming will start on Sunday. Track and field will start on June 18th and gymnastics will start on June 24th. So over the next couple of weeks, the Olympic team in three of the big glamour sports will be decided. We've already got five local people that have locked up spots on teams. We've got Gable Stevenson in freestyle wrestling, Kyra Condi in climbing, a new sport in the Olympics, 
Jordan Thompson from Edina in women's volleyball. She was just named to that team earlier this week. Lara Dahlman Weiss from Shoreview in sailing and Patrick Sunderman of Farmington in rifle shooting. And shout out to Moundsview High School. Two of the five Olympians for Minnesota are Moundsview High School graduates, Kyra wow. and Lara Dahlman Weiss. That's pretty cool. Good for them. Um, so a lot of, like you said, the, the, the kind of the glamour events coming up, a lot of spots up for grabs. What, what are we, if you're, you know, watching both with a Minnesota lens and also with, you know, kind of the big picture, you know, U.S. lens. What are we watching for as we as we watch swimming trials and these, you know, coming up in a few days here? Swimming trials. Uh, Reagan Smith is our big local. Reagan is the current world champion and world record holder in the 200 meter backstroke. She also holds the world record in the 100 meter backstroke. Interestingly, Reagan has put herself into position to potentially make the team in the butterfly events as well, particularly the 200 meter butterfly. She's swimming very well in that stroke right now. So she will be competing in four events at the trials and has excellent potential to make the team in three of those. I just spoke to her yesterday, in fact. She is training great. She's really looking forward to the trials. She's among a lot of athletes who said the extra year was not as helpful as you might expect. The general public seemed to think that, gee, everybody's got an extra year to get better. But it's also an extra year of stress, an extra year of very hard training, an extra year of putting your life on hold. Reagan ended up deferring her admission to Stanford University so she could just train towards the Olympics. So it's been a long, long wait for these Olympians, and they're all excited to get the trials going. And we'll also see at the swimming trials, athletes like uh, Caleb Dressel will be on the men's side, probably the one to watch. Uh, just, gosh, too many names to name, really. It, it is continuing this year, as it always is with the U.S. in swimming. Coaches and athletes say it is harder to make the U.S. team than it is to win a medal at the Olympics. And I believe we'll see that play out again this year. Wow. And so Reagan Smith, obviously, that's someone we've heard about for a while now, just with her overall excellence. Like where where do we think she is in terms of just like, like you said, hard, harder to make the team than medal. So that that tells you that if, if she has a really good chance of making the team in three events, she's got a very good chance to bring home a lot of hardware once we get to July and the, the, the games start themselves. Absolutely. She feels really good about how she's training right now. She hasn't posted her fastest times yet this year, but she doesn't need to. She just needs to swim well enough to make the team. And she's just now tapering. She's not done any tapers earlier this year. She's just been training extremely hard, doing what she needs to do to get ready for the meets. So I think once she gets a full taper, she'll get a full taper for the trials. So I think the trials is going to show us a lot about what Reagan is capable of this year. And then she'll get better training and another taper before the Olympics. So a little too early to tell, but simply based on past performance, she certainly has a chance to, to win medals in, in those backstroke events, if not the butterfly as well. And then, you know, fast and furious track and field, like you said, in, in about a week, um, what are we watching there? It's, I mean, it's, you're watching a million different events, so it's kind of hard to, to <laughs> single things out, but what, what are you particularly interested in again, but from both a, a Minnesota perspective and then just a USA track and field perspective? Yeah. From a Minnesota perspective, we have, I believe a fewer 
entries than normal. I just went through that list the other day. The uh, the qualifying period just closed this past Sunday in order to get the qualifying marks. So there's still a few entries that are, are coming in, but some of the interesting people that we've got locally, Mason Furlick has qualified in three events. Mason's a steeplechaser. That's been his bread and butter. He's also qualified in the 1500 and the 5k. So we'll see what events he chooses to do. He went to college at Michigan. He's training in Ann Arbor right now, training very well. Two of our uh, 2016 Olympians, Ben Blankenship and Hassan Mead, have qualified in their events. Blankenship in the 1500, Hassan in the 5K. Uh, Joe Klecker, the uh, son of Barney Klecker and Janice Klecker. Joe, who runs for the University of Colorado, has qualified in the 5K and the 10K. Uh, Obsa Ali, the steeplechaser from University of Minnesota, has qualified in steeplechase. Uh, on the women's side, we've got Emma Bates in the 10K, uh, a couple of former Gophers runners, Madeline Strandamo and Abby Kohut-Jackson in the steeplechase. And probably the best hope on the women's side is Maggie Ewan from St. Francis in shot put. She has qualified in that event. So those are our locals to look for. And generally speaking, uh, everybody's going to be watching Allison Felix to see if yeah. Allison can make the Olympic team again. She is a mom now and life has changed very much for her, but she's running very well. So that will be fun to watch her. Uh, men's shot put should be phenomenal. Peyton Otterdahl from Rosemount is in the mix there, but holy cow, that is a loaded field and some very large men that can throw that shot a very far distance. That will be, I think, one of the most fun events to watch at the games. And of course, the sprints are always exciting. So should be a good trials. And they're at Hayward Field in, uh, in Oregon, which has undergone a beautiful renovation. Mm. So that's, that'll be fun just to see the renovation there. And it's a perfect site for the trials. You said steeplechase like five or six times. I feel like, why are we so good at the steeplechase in Minnesota? Uh, that's a really good question and one that I have not explored, but it is worth looking into, isn't it? Whenever I watch it, I think, why would anyone do that, right? Because right. it's grinding. I mean, you're first of all, you get your shoes wet right off the hop. Oh, yeah. You, you go over that hurdle, you land in the water, and you're running with wet shoes the rest of the way, the race. It's 3,000 meters. It's a long race, and you're continuing to go over those hurdles, and you can just see the athletes by the end are so gassed. They're barely, you know, they're putting that foot on the hurdle to push them over. And I, it's one of those events that you, you watch it and you say, I don't know why anybody would do this once, let alone repeatedly. Maybe it's a Minnesota work ethic thing. I'm going to go with that theory for now. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll explore that more in detail as uh, it's as, as good as anything. It's, it's as good, good as anything. We're going with it for now. Gymnastics, obviously in a couple of weeks, huge implications, a lot of, you know, SUNY Lee, obviously a, a headlining name here in, in Minnesota, but, um, my daughter, by the way, uh, we watched, we were watching the U S championships that was on last weekend. Right. And yes. she, you know, last time you know, she's seven, last time the summer Olympics was on, she was like two, right. Cause it's been five years. Yeah. That's so, she, right. you know, we don't watch, you know, we don't just gymnastics isn't routinely just on regular TV. You don't just like channel hop a lot and find gymnastics. She was riveted by gymnastics. She was like, I want to watch all of the gymnastics. So she is ready for the gymnastics. How ready are <laughs> you for the trials and what should we be looking for in the, in that regard? That is going to be a fantastic trials. It's interesting this year with gymnastics because there are only four 
team positions there. The International Gymnastics Federation, it was an attempt to get more gymnasts from countries that don't produce good teams, get more individuals from more countries and a little more diversity into the field. So the top nations are now limited to four for the team event, and then they can have as many as two individual qualifiers. So gymnasts that will go and they will represent the U.S., but they won't compete for that team gold medal. They'll only compete for a gold medal in the individual all-around or an individual event. So Simone Biles already has one spot locked up, right? So Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. In, in essence, that only leaves three positions, and it is – a pretty good log jam for those three. Suni Lee and Jordan Childs, who is a young teammate of Simone Biles at Simone's Gym World Champion Center in Spring, Texas. They separated themselves from the pack a little bit at U.S. Championships. They were your silver and bronze medalists there. They were obviously extremely good. Suni looked terrific in her comeback to the all-around from these foot and ankle injuries that have bothered her for a long time now. She broke her foot last summer. As it healed, she got tendonitis in that ankle. Mm. And so it's not a stability issue, but it's a pain issue. And floor exercise and vault, when you are landing so hard on your feet, those are the two events that she's not been doing. She'd been limiting herself to bars and beam, which are her two too strong events anyway, but she put in floor and vault for U.S. Nationals, did very well. So I think we can see, I think we can expect to see more improvement from her at the trials, another step forward. Grace McCallum is still in the mix. Grace tied for seventh at the U.S. Championships in the all-around and was the bronze medalist on beam. She still has a chance. And on the men's side, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Shane Wiskus, the former men's gymnast from the U. So Shane was in the hunt for the silver medal in the all-around in the men's competition and then just had a disastrous high bar routine on his final event in the finals. He fell three times and got, got up and finished. I don't know how he did it, but he got up and finished and ended up ninth overall. Oof. And I've not heard an update on his condition. There's, you know, you always worry about concussion when you have that kind of a fall. So we'll have to wait and see, first of all, if Shane is healthy enough to compete. And second of all, if he is healthy enough to finish well and make, make that team. He was very much in the hunt for the Olympic team before that. So, you know, hopefully for him, he'll be able to, to continue on and, and, and try and make the team. You mentioned earlier that's the impact of the extra year on a lot of these athletes. And, you know, again, not, uh, not ideal to have to train another year necessarily. Maybe it gives some athletes a chance to, to get more into, into the mix, but a lot of them, it's like this another 365 days of this mental grind, especially when this was not a normal year to train or do anything. Um, I imagine gymnastics felt this maybe more than some other sports, even because your window of competition, your age window of competition is a lot more narrow in gymnastics. Is it not? There were two things that happened in gymnastics with the extra year. First of all, they allowed girls who were not age eligible in 2020 to become age eligible this year. So that was an influx of another three or four very good gymnasts into an already crowded field. So you've got more competition now 
And also it's very hard in gymnastics. It is such a brutal, brutal sport on the body. Hard for them to remain healthy and sound over a long period of time. SUNY Lee's coach, Jess Grable, was just talking about this to me uh, last week, right before nationals. He said the extra year in SUNY's case was actually really hard because it was all about keeping her healthy, keeping her together and in good physical condition for another year, which is really hard to do. Even if your training is somewhat limited, you're still putting a lot of stress on those bones and joints. And so in gymnastics, that's been the challenge for most of the athletes there is just maintaining, continuing to train at a high level and not getting hurt. We've talked a lot about the upcoming U.S. trials, um, but we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that there's some, you know, still some, not necessarily doubt, but I got to ask you, like, are the Olympics going to happen, Rachel, and should they happen? And where, where are we at with Japan's you know, response to the pandemic, what are the medical professionals saying about should this be even be happening right now, even as numbers generally go in the right direction with COVID, you know, after this, you know, getting postponed a year? Will they happen and should they happen are two separate questions here to be sure. They almost certainly will happen. The IOC is forcing this. Uh, Dick Pound from Canada, who's a senior IOC member, said last week, only Armageddon would prevent the Olympics from happening as scheduled. The Japanese people are not happy about this. They honestly feel as if the Olympics are being forced upon them. Public opinion polls in Japan continue to show 60 to 80 percent of the citizens want the Olympics either postponed or canceled. They're still having a severe outbreak. Tokyo and some of the other nearby prefectures are still under a state of emergency. It's been extended multiple times. Osaka, a couple of weeks ago, the medical system was near collapse. They didn't have enough personnel or hospital space to care for everyone who was ill. And vaccine rollout has been exceptionally slow in Japan. As of Monday, the latest count was 3.66%. That is less than 4% of these people had been vaccinated against COVID. The issue there is kind of a cultural thing. They are a little vaccine wary in Japan, particularly with foreign medicines. The country insisted on running its own trials before it dispensed any vaccinations. So they're far behind many other countries in getting those vaccines out Medical professionals are not keen on this idea at all of hosting the Olympics. Within Japan, a number of medical professionals have said, you know, right up to saying, don't do it. This is madness. You should, you should not hold these Olympics now. It's, it's dangerous. Outside the country, medical professionals are saying the same thing. Some doubt has been shed on the mitigation procedures that Japan has talked about that the uh, organizing committee has talked about that they may not be good enough to prevent spread. And there's also concern that with athletes coming from around 200 countries, including places like India and Brazil and South Africa, where their own variants have been spawned, that there could be another mutation that develops at the Olympics and is then exported to the home countries of all these athletes. So tons and tons of questions still about the wisdom and safety of hosting the Olympics at this stage of the pandemic. 
how do athletes feel about it? And how, I mean, you're going to be traveling for these Olympics. How do you feel about, you know, just the, the games going on? The athletes, um, publicly, what they are saying is that they are still excited about it. They're still good with it. And I get that. These are people that have been training for these games for five years now. I totally understand why they want to go on with it. A lot has been made of the fact that the IOC has inserted a new clause into the athlete waiver that they have to sign to participate in the Olympics, that they absolve the host committee, the IOC, everybody from any COVID fallout. If you get sick with COVID in Tokyo, you have long-term effects. You have no recourse with the IOC, the host committee, anybody else. You're signing away your rights on, on COVID and I think probably most athletes will, will bite their lip and sign that waiver to go and compete. I have very mixed feelings about it. I'm not worried. I'm fully vaccinated and I'm not really worried about being in Japan, but I feel bad that the Japanese public really doesn't want us there, particularly auxiliary people like the international media. It's one thing for the athletes and athletic staff to go there. But holy cow, it's almost 100,000 people that are going to be coming in for the Olympics because the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, brings in all their hangers on. You know, it's thousands and thousands of people that are just there to, you know, eat and drink and have a good time. And the broadcasters, my goodness, NBC brings thousands of people. And every major country has its own broadcasting system that brings in thousands of people. International media, about 5,000 international media outside of broadcasting will be coming in. So you've got an awful lot of people going that are, again, you know, every additional person essentially increases that, that risk a little bit for Japan. So I feel bad that, that the Japanese public isn't keen on this. And the experience is going to be very different from us as well. The host committee has released a, what they call a playbook, and it is basically a list of here's what you're going to have to do when you're in Japan for the Olympics. For media, we can be in our hotel or at the media center or at a venue. Those are the only three places we are allowed to be during our 21 days in Japan. We cannot go to a restaurant. We cannot go to a store. We cannot walk around. We cannot use public transportation. And it just came out earlier this week that they may use GPS to track us so that they know everywhere that we're going and they can make sure we're not breaking any rules. So it's going to be, I think, a sad Olympics from that standpoint. Some of the joy is definitely going to be sucked out of it. It looks at this point like there will be no spectators at all. That's not been announced, but on June 24th is when they will announce whether Japanese spectators will be allowed. And right now it's it's believed that they're leaning against that. So I think it's going to be a sterile atmosphere for the athletes and the athletes themselves are going to be asked to come in just a couple of days before they compete and leave within a couple of days after they're done competing. So they won't be able to go to the events and see their friends in other sports compete. Their interaction with athletes from other countries in the Olympic village is going to be severely limited. A lot of the things that make the Olympics, the Olympics, are just not going to happen this time. It's like a business trip instead of just a, an experience, overall experience. And that's a kind of feels like sports where they were in the United States last year, almost we're kind of like a full 
cycle behind with no fans with, you know, kind of you're, you're there to cover the game and that's it. So, well, interesting. Well, we'll see. I mean, we only got six, seven weeks till they, till they start lots of good uh, coverage coming up. Star Tribune, startribune.com follow uh, Rachel's great work there. Rachel Blount, thank you for all that information and perspective and that uh, we'll catch up again soon on daily delivery. Okay. Sounds great, Mike. Thank you. Great stuff from Rachel. She does an amazing job covering the Olympics for the Star Tribune. Has done so for several years now. I'll be watching. It's been interesting to watch the trials. I've got different feelings about the Olympics right now, I think, than I did before I talked to Rachel. But I think, by and large, if the athletes are on board with this, I hope this is still something that they'll remember and take away as a as a really positive experience. And you know, for the TV viewer, it probably won't feel all that different, but it's going to be a different type of Olympics for sure. Let's end with the cooler. We've talked about this a lot on the show too, but the day finally came. Josh Donaldson versus Garrett Cole didn't turn out to be much of a matchup. Certainly wasn't any theatrics or bean balls or anything like that. Garrett Cole just kind of took care of business, struck out Donaldson twice, his first two at-bats, and then got him on a fly ball to right in the sixth inning. So 0 for 3 for Josh Donaldson after accusing, more or less, uh, Garrett Cole of being one of the pitchers who is using more than just a little illegal substance on a ball. I, th- I think I saw Garrett Cole tip his cap towards Josh Donaldson after he struck him out in the first inning. Josh Donaldson just kind of walking back to the dugout. So, you know, Garrett Cole hitting 100 miles an hour a couple times in that game just kind of goes to show uh, Garrett Cole's still a pretty good pitcher. We'll see what the spin rates are on on all those pitches as the year goes on. But, uh, you know, he's still probably going to be okay even if there is a crackdown. And, you know, maybe next time, uh, maybe next time, hopefully Josh Donaldson can back up the words with a little bit more punch at the plate. That'll do it for today. I'll have Lavelle E. Neal third on Friday's show. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the Donaldson-Garrett Cole stuff, a little bit more about pitchers cheating and fan behavior. Lavelle's got a column coming up about that. Um, some interesting stuff there. So hope you enjoyed today's show. Good stuff coming up Friday and next week, and we'll see you again then.